right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Buck. I'm on my co-worker, Jordan Bianchi, and our other co-worker, Luke Smith, who is here in Las Vegas with us. Uh, we have just barely woken up from the Las Vegas Grand Prix, and we're sort of uh, digesting what has all happened here this week. Um, some of us have coffee, and then Jordan has poured us mimosas. Yeah. You brought champagne for this occasion. This is a well. We have Luke on the show. We got we got to bring all it's the big day, the best. Yeah, only the best for my friend over here. Okay, we may have our other F one writer, Madeline Coleman, join us later in the show. We're not sure. Like Luke, you're literally on one hour of sleep to yeah, paint self, the picture for everybody. Well, self, I mean, why is that, Luke? Oh dear, oh dear, Jordan. So I if this, you want to talk about, it, we don't no, have no, to. we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. As I'm sure we'll get into, this timetable's been a absolute. <laughs> head screw for everybody in their one paddock and uh i was getting like three hours sleep a night really really rough and then i took some melatonin uh after a qualifying day and i slept a good like mm-hmm. 10 hours and felt amazing i was like oh, this is great and the one thing i'd not done in las vegas was go and do any gambling and i thought you know what i'd like to play a little bit of blackjack so i texted my friends once i finished work last night in the early hours of this morning and uh which they was like said, 4 30 this morning which was like right? yeah, yeah we left a little bit around four yeah yeah i can i can tell you the time of the text actually if you would really like no it was um at 501 i oh. sent the text saying are you guys still there and there was flamingo which uh. when i told you guys this your reaction was uh. out of all the casinos to go to yeah uh-huh. well because this is your first time in vegas we and want you to enjoy vegas and have a good time the flamingo was not our first choice no, no. and no. by the way you're staying at a casino there's blackjack i know like, i could literally, literally like, walked from my blackjack room. Yeah, like a 30 yeah. second walk yeah. from yeah. us but, but i thought tuscany though well, it's not, not i'm not saying it's <laughs> I'm not. Okay. I'm anyway. not saying it's great, but I'm saying if you have an itch to play blackjack, it's yeah, right I over know, here. I know. I know. Okay. But, um, much, so yeah, I the went there. The flamingo ain't better. It's definitely not. No. And uh, I went there and I didn't win. And then was like, I'll get back, get a few hours sleep. And then after like an hour, I just woke up and was like, oh. So uh, yeah, one hour sleep. But that kind of sums up this weekend, I think. Like yeah. it's not been smooth at all for anybody. It's been pretty brutally in terms of sleep and stuff. But uh it's been a lot of fun, as I'm sure we'll get into. We should get hit by a drain, co- a drain hole cover. That is true. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I mean, we can be better than Carlos Sainz. So. <laughs> well, let's back up because I was almost going to start the podcast by saying, "Welcome to our podcast about the NASCAR Chicago Street Race," because Jordan, there were so many similarities. I had so much sense of deja vu this entire weekend, but I wasn't sure it was going to end as well as the Chicago Street Race, and and then it did. So let's let's just. You know, for those of you who are listening, mostly NASCAR fans, you'll remember that every there was all this hand wringing about how NASCAR in Chicago was going to go. Uh, I don't know if, how fo- closely you followed it, Luke, but you know the city was upset about disruptions and all stuff. Very similar to Las Vegas, although Las Vegas was on a much bigger scale. So then everybody gets there, and it was like, wow, they've actually pulled this off. This is amazing. As similar to what we people saw when they saw the track, and you know, it was like the the lights, and I mean, it, it looks unbelievable like this is actually an event that's going to happen and um this is sort of a mar modern modern marvel of motorsports try saying that three times fast. <laughs> no um so you know so then it's like wow this is great and then shortly into the first on-track action just like it, as in chicago <laughs> it all goes wrong because in chicago it wasn't uh drain covers but the weather lightning sort of popped up out of nowhere and it ended up uh canceling the entire day um they evacuated everybody the can fans we, can i just uh-huh. say like chicago they they did have a stretch there where it was fine 
Like yeah, right. it, it started it, off, it wasn't that yeah, soon, it, it, right? Yeah, and so they, that was they quali- yeah. cut practice and qualified. Yeah, and so it was like, oh, okay, wow. It was like, hell, they they did this. This is working. Yeah, they, they, you know, I think it's fair to say we walked there. And we're like, whoa, this 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 is a real legit mm. road course. They didn't screw this up, mm. and it was legit, and it went off well. But here, though, you got eight minutes. Eight before minutes. That eight <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Literally eight minutes. Eight minutes. Like, a lot can happen in eight minutes. But so yeah. then, because you and I remember that that Saturday night of Chicago, it felt like our balloon had been completely popped. We felt the the everything had gone completely flat. It started so well, and there was almost like a bewilderment of like, how did this go so wrong so quickly? Mm. How could this have happened? And that same feeling, almost to a T, was what was happening Thursday night. As they're like, well, now we got to go. We cancel first practice here. Now we've got to go replace every drain cover and we might not be able to do second practice oh no wait we're going to do second practice but we're going to kick out all the fans um and then of course we'll get into this more but like you know liberty media or you know f1's the the terrible way they handled it with their pr statements not apologizing you know all this stuff and then we got a voucher though in in nascar chicago's case it totally redeemed itself because it turned out to be this great race. They ended up getting it in mm. and it was awesome. And everybody left there feeling this is actually really cool. I can't wait to come back and try this again next year with a clean version yeah. where everything goes smoothly. And again, that seemed to be the case with <laughs> yeah, this completely. race. Yeah. So it was so weird to have this feeling like just not even six months apart. Mm. I can't even tell you how similar the emotions felt. Yeah. So. Huh. It's, no, it's really strange. Like I think that for F1, we do have these kinds of things happen every now and then. Like the team principal spoke on, I can't remember what day it was now, Thursday, maybe Friday? It was Thursday. Thursday, Thursday night, just like an hour, like 11 o'clock. There so, we go. Yeah. And they said like, hey, these things happen. We go to Baku, we go to Monaco, their street tracks and it happens. And it, I agreed with that. But also F1 spent half a billion dollars yeah. to make this race happen. Like it, this should have been sorted. Like I know we can't test what the track is going to be like until you have actual F1 cars mm-hmm. on there. But still, it was a very... Yeah, it was a, a massive ball drop for F1. It was not a good look. And ultimately, though, yeah, it did redeem itself. Like, as I wrote post-race, like, F1 won in Las Vegas, despite mm-hmm. starting in the worst possible fashion. And that's what I think is, like, you go back, and, and I think uh, what's the comments were made, especially by Total Wolf, were I disagree with. Like, I mm. think it is a black eye. Yeah. Like, it was a black eye. Totally. This was before they even kicked out the fans. Yeah. I, I think it was a bad look. And he said, no one's going to care. Like, tomorrow, Europe's going to wake up. They're not going to realize this. And ultimately... He was right. Yeah. Like, I think when you look back on this, it's going to be a footnote. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, that first qualify, the first practice session was wonky and exactly. it didn't work out. Yeah. But at the end of the day, no one's going to talk about it. No. They're going to talk about, not only it's arguably, I think it's the best race of the year where you had multiple winners in contention for the win mm. and you had a lot of different storylines and how successfully they pulled this off. And it is now going to be a footnote. And yeah. it, it, it worked out. It just, it was a very. Uh, you know, back roads, curious way to get yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't all up, up, up. But I think, uh, yeah, maybe, I mean, that's going to maybe add to the story of this race. Like F1, I think, can pass itself on the back for what it achieved, absolutely. But there is a lot that needs to be fixed for next year. And I think the way that started, it didn't just, it just didn't set things on the right note. And then what happened with the fans was, yeah, just completely unacceptable. Well, let's just start there. Let's, a voucher. Come on. Let's start. Um, <laughs> is sort of chronological <laughs> chronological order you know um everybody you know the the drivers had to get here really i mean they, they had to start doing media stuff on tuesday mm. um where they were making multiple appearances yeah, your, your like media that. day wasn't even till wednesday yeah um we've been here a long time jordan and, and <laughs> yeah. um but you know so there's a, a lot of talk about it was just what's this going to be like after all these months it's like 
how's this going to be? How's this going to be? So you finally get on track and the signs thing happens, you know, fairly quickly. And I mean, you, you've talked Luke that, that this has happened to other races, but you know, what was the reaction from the people you talked to sort of in the paddock that, you know, cause I, I don't know the paddock was fully embracing this race as it mm. was anyway. So in those, you know, in the aftermath of that, how were people feeling about what was happening in, in Vegas, I guess? I think they felt that was a confirmation and justification for their trepidation and how they were feeling coming into this race. Like, you're, you're correct. There was a lot of concern, uncertainty. I remember getting texts from team members when they arrived in Vegas being like, yeah, this is like, this is some place. And I think that we're so used to going to see these like pristine state-of-the-art F1 facilities. So to come to a street track is always a little bit different. But yeah, there was um, there were concerns. Like I know, I mean, I had someone tell me that the organizers were, uh, quote, scrambling in recent weeks because they had to get everything ready. Uh, they were behind at points and ultimately they did. And that is always the case with new races. And then like talking to team members, they were saying that they didn't have information on like, how do the drivers get into the circuit? Is there going to be a police escort and things like that when they normally have that way in advance? So it's little things like that, that I think bred that kind of uncertainty people were feeling. And then when you have, as you say, eight minutes into the first session, that happened it kind of makes everyone go, well, we were right. Like, this is why we've been critical about this race and so concerned and they haven't got things together properly. And so it was a sort of a shock in itself in the moment where they go, all right, FP1 will not be resumed. It was like, whoa, okay, Mm. this is not an immediate fix. And then it starts becoming obvious that they're going to have to go to all these water valve Mm. covers, whatever they're, you know, they're, we thought at first they're manhole covers. They're, they're not manhole covers because, you know, you it's not a type of sewer where you go and crawl into yeah, it. Yeah, a man it's, could not fit in that hole. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, not like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? But these were, I mean, maybe a turtle could. Um, <laughs> this is why I bring to the podcast, nice. Luke. I like it. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, like, it's sort of like, how could this happen? Because it's not like they were racing down Las Vegas Boulevard, which had 30-year-old asphalt. They had mm. repaved it. Yep. And this had been part of that repaving project, mm-hmm. brand new asphalt. So it's like, how, how does this happen? So then they have to go and pull up all the drains, fill them, mm. all the stuff. And and by the time it finishes, um, they said at first, you know, they, the practice is supposed to start at midnight. Then they say, okay, maybe 2 a.m., mm. then 2.30. Yeah. And, but at 1.30, they say, okay, we're kicking out all the fans. Every mm. fan has to leave because we can't keep the security and all the, the personnel here. Mm. So... That's when things started going pretty wrong, I feel like. I mean, that's when things started getting pretty sour for me. I mean, to me, it was canceling FP1. I mean, eight minutes in the the session, which all of this excitement, all of this hype, this is actually going to be, you know, what is it going to be like to see cars racing down the strip? And then, oh, yeah, we don't get that. And instead, you've got a track that is inadequate, has got issues, and obviously needs to be checked, if not have major repairs. And then it was like, okay, this is already bad. This was already a black eye. This was bad. And then as it goes on, and then when you kick out the fans, it elevated it to an even higher level. And the thing with that is, is like, I get it. Like they, they truly, the organizers were kind of in a bind. I mean, you're dealing with contract workers. You got union stuff like that. It's like, how do you, you know, we hear all the time. Like you can't, you have, if you're going to have spectators here, you got to have personnel that work here. So what, what do you do at that point? Like now, could you have, what, I guess what I would have done, I would just said, we're done for the night. Like we're going to start fresh tomorrow. It didn't work out. And then it also gives your track workers time to really thoroughly 
inspect everything. They're not under the gun, and you just say, we're bringing everybody back tomorrow. And by the way, if you had a ticket for today, only for today, come back tomorrow, you get in for free. Mm. Like, And that's how you win it. You're still going to have to deal with the fallout and everything, but it certainly diminishes the, oh, we're kicking people out. And then, by the way, you don't get your money back, but you get a really cool voucher. But can they even do that, Luke, under FIA regulations? Can they even say, we're going to take FP2, move it a day, have FP3 the same day, or combine it, and then have qualifying that day? Because, I mean, the regulations, I feel like NASCAR has a lot more flexibility with what they do because they're like, Mm. except in rare instances, and they can just move stuff around. I feel like the FIA, they're like, nope, this is what it says. Yeah, yeah, and it is, there are elements for flexibility so for example making fp2 90 minutes instead of 60 minutes that is an example of that we saw in qatar when we had the track uh issues with the mm-hmm. curbs before fp sorry before the sprint shootout qualifying oh, i get so confused with all these formats on the uh, on the saturday they were able to do a 10 minute track familiarization session which they never ever do in f1 so that shows there is that kind of flexibility the issue here though was that we're dealing with probably the most famous patch of road in the world like mm-hmm. F1 has moved like heaven and earth to get these roads shut to find the right times that's why we started the race at 10 that's why we did qualifying at midnight because they needed to find a time that they could probably shut the roads so that was the extra difficulty here like I do agree that that would have been a cleaner solution say look let's call off today we'll come back tomorrow we'll find a way to make up the time and I think if we were at any other race circuit we probably could have done that but because we're dealing with like so many authorities were dealing with like police fire department was dealing with um yeah clark county commission and everyone like that it was that made things like infinitely more complicated so i think that's something else to consider in all of this as well is that f1 had to really scramble to try and make sure that it could work things out in the end yeah we finished fb2 at what four four a.m and that was when the roads meant to already be fully reopened so that would have caused some disruption anyway so it was tricky um yeah i i agree that would have been a much better way to do it because ultimately this was a race that was already being criticized for not being very fan friendly due to the the viewing options due to the price of the tickets and hotels and things like that and then to literally say to fans after eight minutes yeah you gotta go guys like you're out of here not a good look i'm so, happy to be in charge of race organization I've yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. I'd, okay. I'd back that. yeah i want to see that so then it gets a lot worse because it was like, you know, I think a lot of fans now, especially the American fans who may not be as familiar with F1 and don't know, for instance, like the spa debacle of a couple of years ago when those poor fans sat through all that rain and they saw what three laps that were never even under green, mm. just behind the safety car or something. And then they called the race and they never got refunds for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so to think that F1 was going to say, yeah, we'll give you refunds for all this mm. after they'd spent you know, half a billion dollars on yeah, race or yeah. whatever. Um, I don't think they were in a giving mood. Um, so of course the fans wanted that, but you know, first they came out with the statement and it was very, it seemed, it felt very condescending. Like, yeah. um, you know, for those who are new to motorsports, it's important. You were, <laughs> do you, you understand? And then there was a line of like, well, you know, it was sort of essentially concerts and things get canceled all the time. And yeah. this is just another one of those things. But the difference is if you would go to a concert and it's rained out or the artist doesn't perform yeah. um, at a normal concert, you get a refund. Exactly. For that. Yeah. So yeah. I had a concert in September. I was really excited for it got called off. I got my money back and I'm like, okay, well I've not lost anything here. Yeah. yeah. And that's the issue. Like, okay, they gave out this merchandise voucher for $200 to the fans who were affected, which I don't know how much a one-day ticket would have cost for Thursday, but I'm going to guess it was a fair bit more than $200. 
But the people who had a three-day ticket, you've lost a third of your on-track action, mm-hmm. a third of the stuff you bought your ticket for. I know it's only practice, but I'd, I'd be pretty annoyed. Like, that's ridiculous that you've not got anything back for that, even though you're you're out of pocket. So, yeah, I fully agree. Like, that was a big, big difference. And the other bit that really grated me in the whole um, statement was the, um, it happens. Like, it's kind of it like, happens. it happens. Like, these things happen. Like, you get the wrong coffee order, yeah. it happens. <laughs> Your, your practice session, you spent hundred of dollars wanting to attend. Nah, it and, and they essentially said too, and that basically the show must go on. Yeah, yeah like exactly. like that, which is terribly insulting. Yeah, yeah. And and again, I understand why you can't apologize. Like there, you, you got to kind of toe the line. And, mm. But there is a way to express remorse and totally. sorrow. Yeah. And, and try to go above and beyond to to show that. Mm. And none of that was done. No. And no. and like in the Chicago street race incident, you know, you can ultimately it stunk, but. You can understand. Okay, it's weather. It was yeah. It was out of weather. their control. Yeah, it was out of their completely. control. This was their fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This was yeah. their fault. Yep. And then just to say it happens. I and and just the statements as well. I was. It really. I mean, until a few hours before the race yesterday actually took place, I was. I was over the whole weekend after that. <laughs> I was done because I was like, this is this is ridiculous. I've never seen an organization, really any company, I, that I can't think that I can think of. Say hey, hey, you're, to our customers. Um, yeah, you know what? We're we're actually not sorry about that. And I know you're mad, but too bad. Are you familiar with Formula uh, One? No, but that, this I mean, is like, like this, this isn't was, this isn't new. This like, wasn't this even is... to pretend. This wasn't even to try to pretend. Like hey, we do care about the fans or something like that. Like this was like f you. And if you if you don't like our explanation, then f you again. Um, and this is Formula One. <laughs> I, I guess I didn't realize it was they that a, brazen. Is that is that fair, Luke? What he's saying? I think they have a history of being pretty. They do, but the other the other things are like coming back to Spa, for example. The the thing there was that ultimately it was because there was technically a race. However, you want to classify it with two laps behind the safety car. They uh, that meant they didn't have to give full refund tickets and things like that. And ultimately that impacts the promoter like it is the promoter who the model works that a promoter will pay a fee to formula one to host a grand prix and then they will get all of the revenue from ticket sales and stuff like that so basically especially spa which is a promoter that's not as wealthy as maybe some of the others it was like if you have a race where you basically have to give back all of your ticket sales then that's going to really hurt you financially the difference with this race is the promoter of the Las Vegas Grand Prix is Liberty Media. So it's like, it's mm-hmm. F1's own patch. It's, it's not all even in, like, It's all in one thing. Exactly, yeah. Liberty, which one is stop shop. how many billions of dollars, I, I do not know. I don't understand why they kind of said, let's get some good PR here. Let's say yeah. this bad thing's happened on our great big weekend. Let's recognize that, hold our hands up to the fans and say, here's your money back. And that's the thing. We're talking about half a billion dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So what is... What did they? What would they have had to reimburse in tickets? Uh, whatever that number is, I don't even know. Like, let's just say it's a hundred thousand, and mm. maybe it's low, maybe it's high. Well, there'd be a few million at least because For, think about think about the Paddock Club alone, right? They were selling $15,000 tickets for a five day pass. Okay, which I don't so even divide know it was five day, up. but part of that included the 30 minute opening ceremony. That was th- okay, but divide, divide that, that up. Like, let's just you can parse it out, like divide it up. So, whatever that number is, let's find, let's raise it. Let's say it's 300,000, whatever that number at the end of the day. It's it's almost like a drop in the bucket. Like yeah. it's, even it's, millions though is dropped in the bucket. Even yeah, even yeah. if it's a million, even if it's a million, it's it's a drop in the bucket. It's the cost of doing business, and it's yeah, it sucks. It's gonna cut in our bucket. We're gonna be out of a million dollars, but you know what? We're gonna be okay. Exactly. And it's really easy to spend on people's money. And I say that all the time. But in this case, the hit you're gonna take is worth it. But it, what what's frustrating about this is I don't think anything's gonna change because like we talked about at the beginning of the show, they won. 
in the end of the day, yeah. they're going to come out of here with a smashing success mm-hmm. that people are going to be talking about. Oh my goodness, that race was great. Yeah, it was so exciting. That is a mere footnote, and they and I think people are going to forget about it. Yeah, and they don't. Like, and it's again like spa. Like it's just going to be like eh, it, it is what it is. Yeah. This is how we do it, and we're not going to change. To the point that on Saturday ahead of the race. Las Vegas put out a statement and announcement going, hey, if you want your tickets yeah. for 2024, put down a deposit now. Yeah. It's like timing of it was just incredible. I think what really struck me is that like in NASCAR, right? NASCAR might feel, want to say the same things, you know, or anybody might want to say like, you know what? We're not going to apologize for this, but they always go, you know what? We're worried about the fans. We're trying to make this right. Mm-hmm. We, we at least craft our PR statements and our actions to try yeah. to be like, we're listening. We care. There was just no, no ounce of like, we feel for you. There was no personal touch. There was no compassion. There was no remorse. And there was no like, sort of like, we understand that a lot of people, we made this race really expensive. And then our cheapest possible option was to come Thursday only, like for those people. And Mm. so not the, the people that can't afford the paddock club, the people that can't afford the Saturday ticket that are true F1 fans that wanted to give it a try Mm -hmm. that said, wow, like if I, I'm, I work a, a retail job and, or, or in a restaurant and I've saved up my money to spend a few hundred dollars for this Thursday ticket. And so I can see this, this is the only chance I have to see this. Mm. And then they lose out on that. You know, I talked to those fans. I, I talked to them for a story that didn't on the athletic and, mm. and it's, it's heartbreaking because they're like, they can't come back. No. They can't. And there's no refund for them. And yeah. it's just like now they, they feel stupid and yeah. they feel, you know, taken advantage of. They feel like fools. And the, again, from F1's perspective, it's just like, well, I, I almost feel like F1's saying, yeah, but it's not really for you guys. We're doing this for the elite, yeah. the wealthy. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to try to come, that's fine. You're allowed to come. We're not going to keep you out, mm-hmm. but we're certainly not going to cater our experience to you. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. It's about the really, really wealthy people. And that to me is just like, oof, what a terrible, maybe look again, like you said, Right now, it doesn't. It's not hurting them. Uh, someday down the road, I agree. They're going to need so, those people. I, I would think. I, I don't. I, I didn't. I wrote about this, and I didn't say this because I didn't want to make it a NASCAR thing. But there are a lot of oh, how Na, how Formula One has kind of blossomed and grown over the last handful of years. There are a lot of parallels to NASCAR and its growth in the mid to late '90s and the early 2000s, and how NASCAR really turned its back on its core fan. And they made a lot of decisions that basically said, we're going to give you the middle finger. We don't care about you. We're going to chase new money. And it worked for a while. But eventually that balloon pops. Mm-hmm. And when that balloon popped, they were like, what do we do? And then they had to go back and try to win those that core fan back. And I, you know, at some point, this Formula One thing is, it, it, it's not in the United States, it's probably not going to continue to rise. It, it feels like it's going to go the other direction. And then what do you do? Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe they don't care. Because this isn't, we... You, know, you go back like 2000, it was a 2000 at the, or what was it? The Indy, the Brickyard, uh, uh, Indianapolis. Yeah, 2005, yeah. the tire debacle. They've had such issues there. Like it, this isn't, they've had these moments where they just kind of stick it to the fans. But and what do you think, Luke? Like, I mean, do they care? I think, oh, yeah. I think we've seen such an explosion of the fan base because of Drive to Survive and everything in recent years that we went through that patch in 
back end of 2021 when we had that amazing title fight between Max and Lewis and through 2022 when every race would be like it's a new record in terms of how many fans have come to this circuit and TV figures are up 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 and everything was going up everything was green and that was amazing to see and obviously the US fan interest has been incredible that's why we cover it on The Athletic because it is catering to these fans who have got shown such passion and I think this year that yeah I think Jordan, to your point, I think we are seeing the start of that plateau of this rise in American interest. It's, yeah, it's it's going to sl- start sort of evening out the slope. And I think we are already at that point. Vegas, the F1 movie, that's all going to help. And we're definitely not going back to the bad old days. Like, I think F1 is here to stay in America. But ultimately, it's got to remember that it's the fans who made it happen. Like, it is down to them. It's down to their passion. It's down to the like the people who braved the rain at Cota all those years ago. It's down to the people who came back when uh, COVID had cancelled the race for, for a couple of years. Like, that, you can't forget those guys. And I know Vegas as a race is, like, maybe it is a bit more of a, a b2b and a marketing and a sort of like it's it is for that higher spender and it is maybe more about the show and the spectacle and to say look f1 races in las vegas but there are still fans who come and i i found it interesting in like all the interviews and stuff leading up to the race the word customer was used so so much and i really it really rankled me like i understood like okay you want to you think about these people as customers and you want to give them a good experience and i heard like the term oh we want to give them value so like if they're going to spend a lot of money you want to make sure they get their money's worth so include stuff like soft drinks and all your food and your ticket price and whatever but i think ultimately and maybe that ties into their response that they are just a customer and well if you look at the t's and c's on your ticket we did our bit it's not our fault so sorry guys and that yeah it's not it doesn't feel very good and i think that ultimately the fact this race was so good in the end as you say it's probably going to be like oh f1 was a success in vegas but i don't think people are going to forget what happened on thursday very very quickly especially the fans that you spoke to jeff who were so badly out of pocket but do they care though and if they don't care it doesn't matter well we'll see yeah i mean they've done this before and yeah. it's just like yeah. they just keep marching forward yeah and i think that's the thing so long as the arrows keep going the right way and as long as the tickets keep being sold and they can keep yeah. saying oh we've sold out then yeah they're gonna say well why do we need to go on a big fan pleasing drive but i think there's only so much that you can do until I agree. they we say now we're done balloon eventually pops yeah so let's talk about the race so um you know, FP2, as late as it was, ends up getting in smoothly with no incidents. The track doesn't break further. It all holds up. The next day, they do another practice. They do qualifying. Um, very fun. You know, Charles Leclerc wins the pole. And um, it seems like, you know, the vibes are getting better. I And it, it felt like, I don't know about you guys, but when I woke up Saturday and started walking around a bit, you could really start to feel like the the big atmosphere starting to build slowly. And then it, when it got closer, um, just walking around the strip and seeing people starting to pour out of the casinos toward the track, toward the various grandstand areas. Um, it was like, this is, this is a big deal. This is really fun. People are really in a good mood. They are really excited about this to see what happens. Um, you know, Luke, you, you have been to every single F1 race this year, except Brazil. So you go all around the world. I don't know what the you know fan reaction and the noise was like um at this one compared to some of those other ones that are really really frenzied mm-hmm. and and you know you know like the japan those those fans mm-hmm. seem to be really loud yeah. i don't know what some of the loudest fans are but uh well what are what are what are some of the best atmospheres I mean, you think? yeah you look at you look at japan definitely like they're just 
they're crazy. Like I, I walk into the fan area and there's fans wearing like full race suits, full helmets. They've got uh, DRS wings on hats that are fully <laughs> operational and everything. And it's incredible. And you go there. I remember, um, I think, yeah, I went for my track run and it was like completely dark, like three hours after qualifying and finished. And the grandstand is still full. And it's like, they love it so much. Monza with the Tifosi, similar. Zandvoort as well is absolutely incredible with all the Max Verstappen fans. So I think they're the they're probably the loudest ones, I would say, in terms of the fan base. So, you know, this was a little bit different crowd because you mm. have, obviously, like we talked about, you had some passionate fans who were able to get there. But a lot of people were there because it was Vegas. It was the spectacle. Mm. It was, um, I don't. I don't know what this is necessarily, but it's cool. I know every all the celebrities, all my friends are going to be there. Yeah, um, all my Instagram influencer, whatever, and I got to be there too. There's that sense of FOMO, so I don't know that that generates the same amount of noise and passion yeah. in some ways. But I still feel like they were pretty into it and pretty loud yeah. from what I could hear. Uh, it was a pretty good atmosphere. At least, yeah, but. no, I'd agree with that. I think that these street races always do have that slightly different edge. Like somewhere like Monaco, for example, is it's Monaco. So it's always slightly set apart. But you think of Singapore, like this race reminded me a lot of Singapore, even in terms of the, the way the track looks and like the shots they use on the TV broadcast and seeing the fans where they were. It was like, yeah, I can I can see that similarity. So I, I would agree. I think that even hearing from like your um, sort of trackside um, observations, Jeff, like when you were saying that oh, they were sort of booing at certain points or cheering these moments, um, like when Max got a penalty, you said that fans were cheering. Yeah, um, they announced it over like the it, you know, because they're playing the like the track feed that had yesterday it had like Bob Varsha and mm. Connor Daly on there and stuff, not the F one feed. Yeah, um, over the loudspeakers anyway. And so when they said that Max had a five second penalty for. Uh, running Charles off there um, to start the race, the whole grandstand just erupted. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And, and it's I was that like, kind of reaction yeah. that ultimately, okay, I don't agree with that, but it's like, <laughs> but it shows there's that passion and that interest. And I think a lot of people thought the people in Vegas aren't going to be that interested in the on-track action, but clearly they were. Yeah, isn't it great that Max, by the way, is just like really healed it up this week? Like it feels like he's gone full villain in a lot of ways. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he was critical of the the track, critical of the atmosphere. Mm. His his driving on the track was very aggressive. His comment when he got informed of the penalty was just like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's it's good. Like, whether you like him or not, you need character. Sports is about good and bad. Yeah. It's about rooting for people, rooting against them. Mm. And when you look at this, and I keep going back to NASCAR, like, there there is a lack of villains in NASCAR. Yeah. Right? But right now, your best driver has got to say... I don't, I don't agree with that, though. I don't know, man. Like he's I, not. He wasn't saying it to be... A villain or story people up. He's like just taking a dump on the race, basically. Like he, this he is was, stupid. But he was. But that's, that's not. That, that's not like. Oh, I'm gonna hate this guy because that. Because I think actually a lot of fans, a lot of the European fans, are like he's right. Sure, and you he's know? playing to. And there's gonna be some people like him, but there are a lot of people that don't though. And sure, well, that's because he wins so much. But it's. Right? But it's yeah, that's part of it. But it's good though that he speaks out. Like you've got that, and it's great that he's willing to embrace everything that comes with it. And it, it's good. You need that. You need that bad guy. And it doesn't seem like he's rattled or bothered. It almost kind of seems like he plays into it a little bit. I think he he just is what he is. Like, he's very happy to just speak his mind about matters. And I know for a fact that his comments about Vegas this weekend have not gone down well in a lot of quarters of the paddock because a lot of effort has gone into this and your world champion is being like, I don't want to be here. So that's that's not a good look at all. But Max is, he's never he's never inauthentic. Like he is always very much what you see is what you get. And that is in his driving style, that's in, in how he approaches things. And even with what we saw on track, like, yeah, he was 
very upset with the stewards over the radio being like send them my regards and that's brilliant sats so good but then post race he was like actually yeah it was really low grip and i probably accept that was the right call that they gave me that penalty so he has that i guess um he has that uh, reflective ability to say like i can take it out of the heat of the moment and see this thing but in terms of the event itself he was asked post race like hey like you won the race you were singing viva las vegas after you on board now yeah yeah yeah. do you like this and he's like no still don't so (laughs) it's no it's incredible and but that is that is max yeah you you do you You need personalities you need to drive that and that's in sports in general yeah but here i think the thing about max is that he's not a he's not the type of charismatic personality that you can get attached to like he's not he doesn't have that like he's dominating but like when tiger woods was dominating right people were still want to see what he's going to do because it was just like compelling and magnetic max is just like oh again like Mm -hmm. and and that's we know we talked about the plateauing of the american product i think as much as anything obviously it's it's max winning but you know if it was somebody you know f1 always has dominant Mm. drivers you know i I don't know and and nobody's ever been this dominant to this degree i mean people say well lewis and schumacher and vettel but not not like this no Uh, this is he's setting all sorts of records and just really taking a lot of the excitement out of it every week but I do wonder if he was a little bit more personable or, or I don't know, likable or something that maybe people would be drawn to it more like to, to tune in and see how he's going to do. Instead, it's just like, uh, you know, but I, I would like to ask you, Luke, like we have our perception of Max, right? Like mm. just from TV and stuff. Um, I, you don't have to go too far into it. I don't want you to get in trouble yourself. In trouble. Oh, like, please how, <laughs> have, a, have a shot of champagne. How, how is he, you know, from a media standpoint, how do you find him to, deal with like is is he cooperative is he surly difficult i mean we all have you know nascar drivers who are good and bad you know we do yeah i think he's he no he is cooperative and i must say that i think full credit needs to go to him and to red bull for how they they work with him and what really stood out to me this year was singapore so that was the one race this year that red bull has not won it's the only race in the last 17 races that max verstappen hasn't won it's remarkable the domination wow. he's had and that weekend he came into it and he was like yeah it might be a bit difficult and we were like yeah, we've heard this so many times and then it genuinely was he dropped out in q2 had a nightmare weekend and we basically the way f1 works is that we have the media pen which is for all of the drivers who didn't finish inside the top three after qualifying in the race so basically we never talk to max there because he is always in the top three and all of a sudden he's he's down there so i head on down and there's a a group of us and max turns up and he's already changed and he's holding kind of red bull and he's watching the end of qualifying he wants to see what goes on before talking to us and then he comes over and he's so just like matter of fact about it understanding about it and I think he talked for a good like five minutes or so. And we rarely get that length of time with any driver, regardless of the result. But especially when a driver's had a bad day, some PRs are so quick to say, okay, we're done. Like we're finished. Like it might be a minute and a half or something like that. And it's useless to us. And we're like, come on, like you've got to own up to it. And I actually talked to Red Bull after that. I was like, you guys and Max deserve a lot of credit for on a bad day still saying we're available and we're happy to talk. And ultimately, because that is such a minor blip in what has been an incredible year, that maybe does make it a bit easier to deal with those kind of points. But I think we have seen Max as he's, I mean, I first spoke to him when he was 16, 17 or something like that. And he um, he's definitely, I think, matured as the years have gone by. And the big change that I've seen this year is that his dominance is such that I think he's kind of, he's not thinking I need to win every race. I can't win the race at turn one, otherwise it's lost. Like he's happy to take his time. He's become more patient. And I think even in just his media handling and stuff like that, like he is happy to maybe go into a little bit more detail than before. 
and always speak his mind, which I think he deserves credit for. Like even on a, a day when he's maybe a little bit briefer than normal, there'll still be something in there, which is great. And I think that, yeah, Max, the, the perception of him from the outside is maybe, I think, unfair. Like, I do think he is ultimately, he's a good guy. He does have, I think, a real passion for racing and ultimately all the stuff around it, he's not so fussed by. Like, what he wants to do is race and win. That's all he cares about. The guy goes home and he's doing his sim racing. Like, that's how dedicated he is to his craft. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think we've seen Max grow through this year and even through all the dominance, he's he's still got that, um, I think, that openness and honesty, which, as Jordan says, like, you need that. You need people to tell it how it is and give their view. And Max is very happy to say, look, I don't care if you guys are angry with me. This is what I think. And I'm going to tell you that. Yeah, I used to, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I was thinking that Max was sort of like a Chase Elliott where he didn't really want to give you anything. He just kind of wanted to get through his obligations, leave, and just wanted to just wanted to race without any fuss. And I do think he wants to race without any fuss, but I almost now think he's a lot more like a Kyle Larson, where Larson, the the thing is like you're not going to get a lot out of him aside from racing because that's all he cares about. Like mm. that's his life, that's his passion. Mm. He he just wants to race. He wants to talk about racing. Um, so to me, like I, I have started to see a little more similarities there where like you, you, it can be frustrating at times because you're not getting, you know, everybody would love to have like the, the Daniel Ricardo, mm. you know, or the Lewis Hamilton, you know, personality and charisma that pops off the page. And they're just, they're so interesting and funny and they say, yeah. you know, all sorts of things. But when you have the guy, like, you know, they're, they're telling you who you, who they are. Like Max is saying, I just want to race. And when you're, when you're throwing things like, at, like Vegas at yeah, me, yeah. with all the fanfare and all stuff, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. I just am here to compete and race and anything that is beyond that. It's for somebody else. I don't want to walk a red carpet. Mm. I don't want to do that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think that there's, I think Larson will do, you know, cause he, he goes along a lot more with what NASCAR wants to do and stuff like that. But like there's elements of that where like, if it was up to him, he would just race every day mm. and that's all there is. And, and if you try to make it any more than that, that's, there's nothing, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, completely. And that opening ceremony that Max said he felt he looked like a clown. Yeah. And he came up through the, through the box and everything. And there's memes going around of it, comparing it to uh, Hunger Games when they're doing sort of their, their yeah. introductions and stuff. And, and it's very true. And like I, I, I heard about uh, the briefing that took place before that opening ceremony. It was literally like 30 minutes before they were going out. And they had a, uh, I don't know who it was, but they had a hype man talking to the drivers. And he was like, guys, you got to go out there. I apologize for the accent. You got to go out there. I want you to be rock stars. You got to be rock stars. You got to do the Eganars and stuff good. like that. And this is good. That's, okay. good, like, yeah, New York. Yeah, that's like yeah, a New York accent. You're like a yeah. tough guy. Can cool, you do like cool. a Chicago? I, I, I can't. You got any other accent? That's like my one. Any, any other personation? I could throw y'all, but Madeline's told me that and that's about it. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I'll go as far as that. But, that's um, good. but that, was, that was the spirit. And apparently all of the drives were just like, dead face they were like oh really yeah what like because they they don't care like ultimately i think there's very few drivers on the grid who understand that they are more than just racing drivers and celebrity appeal and it is your lewis hamilton's and your daniel ricardo's and like lewis was very open saying like hey let's give vegas a chance and after the race he said well i guess it proved people wrong yeah he was very he was very adamant about that yeah and that's again you need that kind of opinion but i just yeah i think that Max is not alone in the way he feels. I think he was just the only one to really go as hard as he did about it all. And um, it's great though. It's, it that. is. You yeah. need that. You, like, you don't want them to be disingenuous. Completely. And you don't want them to feel neutered. Yeah. And 
you want them to be yourselves. Yeah. And if that's who you are, then be it. Don't yeah. try to be something you're not. And, Absolutely. And the nice thing is, is you do have contrast though. Yeah. You've got you've got Max, but you don't have Lewis, who's very also outspoken in his own way mm. and opinionated, which yeah. is great. And it's a nice yin and yang. And yeah. it's you know it's all of that. And and Lewis's comments post race, you know, there was a lot of dry. I thought you know I think. As, you know, Lance Stroll last night was pretty good about it. There's a couple other ones who are like, "Yeah, we get it. Yeah, it's a lot, but we, you know, once or twice a year, we're okay with it." And they're doing it every week. You know, that's a different conversation, and we'll see. But you, you have to understand, like, this is part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is when you compare this to other sports. Yeah. Like you, you know, if you're Major League Baseball, you're on the you play 162 games. Yeah. Those 162 games, you're dealing with media obligations. You're mm-hmm. traveling and all of this other stuff. It's that's part of it, yeah. and it's not always fun. It's not always glamorous, but it's it yeah. is what it is, and it's what pays the bills. Like ultimately, yeah. that's how we get F one on the map in Vegas. That's how yeah. we bring in the that's money. That's why you're here in Vegas, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and if you don't want to do that, that that's fine. Yeah. But you're not going to have races like Vegas. Exactly. You're not going to have the Miami Grand Prix. Yeah, and you're going to have other things else. You're you may not even have a race at Coda, and you may not be in this marketplace mm. anymore. Yeah, completely. So the race itself. Do you need um, a topper, by the way? I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> We're good, Jordan. You don't need refills on champagne. <laughs> Excuse me for being hospitable. Um, <clears throat> so the race itself, you know, obviously expectations were, is it fair to say, extremely low or no expectations at all. People mm. are just like, it's all about the the spectacle and this is not going to be, it's just a show and they're going to do the race and it's going to be it. Um, so maybe that plays into how great everybody thought it was. But I actually think even if the expectations were high, it's still delivered. Mm. I mean, you had lead changes and close racing and daring moves, and it was not predictable until Max finally kind of got out front in the last 15 laps and, and pulled away enough. Um, but even then, you had that great move by Leclerc on on Checo mm. at the end that made it exciting. So, Luke, why why did this race work? What were the elements of this track that made this a good race? I think the track layout itself, which was panned by a lot of people and some of the drivers said they had very low expectations for the quality of racing because it's not it's not the it's not the kind of intricate complex, even for a street circuit layout that we sometimes see, like a Baku, for example, that has so many different elements and it is really, really exciting. This was far more simplistic and like I I played it on the video game to get an idea of how it is and I thought, mm, let's see what kind of racing this offers. But it turned out to actually be a pretty perfect layout. Like the DRS zones were in exactly the right place. There was exactly the right length and everything as well. And it meant that we could have those lunges at the end of the strip that Leclerc did on Perez in the last lap. We had three changes for the lead within five laps, which I think is that's probably the most we've had in F1 in a, that shorter space of time this season. I know by NASCAR standards, you guys yeah. are thinking, oh, come on. But that's... Um, but you that's, haven't seen the race at Martinsville. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good sign. Like that shows the track layout really, really works. And I think all of the drivers really, really enjoyed it. And it does show that sometimes a very simple layout can be beneficial. So I think that contributed. I think that the fact Red Bull aren't so on as dominant on street tracks, I think that also played into it. I think that gave Leclerc and Ferrari a, a better chance. I think that Leclerc, at one point I thought he had it I genuinely thought that when Max was stuck behind Russell and Leclerc had gone out in front he got a little bit of a tire delta I thought yeah this is Charles race to lose and ultimately the safety car worked against him and not coming into the pits that didn't work out either so I think that kind of that kind of bunched it together the safety cars obviously helped as well um bring the field in so I think it was those factors but I think the track layout that's that's what really made this work and it was very low grip and that's something that the drivers want addressed for next year the cold temperatures didn't help that but 
it made for some really exciting racing right the way through the field and i think that yeah i probably would say singapore is the best race of the season still just because you had that final lap mm. four drivers could still win it but this is up there like absolutely and it does show that for all of the buzz around the spectacle in vegas for all of the idea that it's 99 percent spectacle one percent sporting event that one percent that is going to be the lasting memory of this weekend for everyone. And at the end of the day, you know, sports is about entertainment and promotion and all of that stuff. But mm. you still, at the end of the day, what happens on the field, what happens on the racetrack, what happens on the course, mm. you need compelling action. Yeah. And that's the thing. You can have all of the other great stuff off of it, mm. but unless you have a good core product on the racetrack or the field or wherever, you're not going to be able to sell that. And I think now that you you did that, that's that's the thing. It's like you combined all of this cool extracurricular stuff and then you delivered a great race. It's like, boom, that's the perfect recipe. Here's the pie. Completely, yeah. I, let me throw something at you here because, you know, you wrote the driver reaction about how they want, you know, there needs to be some changes for next year related to the grip. Obviously, the, the temperatures were cold. Now, they actually, I will say they got lucky because – Mm -hmm. This time of year here, it could have been easily 10 degrees Fahrenheit colder. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. I think they. I think this was about as warm as you're ever going to get at this time of year here. Mm, it's. I've been here at this time of the year when it's, it's It's usually about normal. Well, that's, okay. Fine. Anyway. <laughs> He's so angry at me. Um, I think that it could have been a lot colder mm -hmm. and it could have been even uh, a bigger story, right? Yeah. So, but as we see with NASCAR and like, the intermediate track package, right? Sometimes when it's a really hot, greasy track, it's a completely different race mm. than when it's cooler and they can, you know, they're, they're packed up more. Jordan's just, Jordan's you're spilling you're, champagne Jordan's on my podcast. It's literally not a drop is. of liquid on your thing. Okay, let's just, can we just get through this without topping off in champagne three times? I mean, <laughs> good Lord. Lord. Do you need a napkin? No, I'm fine. Napkin? Here, good. you know what? Jordan, you were talking about how clean you are. Yeah, I am a clean freak. Yeah. Okay. Well, you just spilled champagne. Jordan just spilled to. champagne. I poured champagne over. It's probably because you've had two glasses. It's like nurse it, man. Three. We're just trying to make it through a podcast. All right. Anyway, it's colder. That's what he's saying. It is. Cold, Isn't yeah. it a positive in some ways that there was such low grip and the tires were not wearing that well because that is what made it a different. Isn't that part of what made it a different kind of race? Like because in the normal race the Ferrari tires drop off more mm. than they would yesterday. Like look and Max and Max would have pulled away way sooner and been farther out. Um, it sort of negated their advantage a little bit to the tires weren't wearing out as much. Now, some people had wear problems, but like other people hit it perfectly. Mm. Like, um, Esty bestie. Yeah. <laughs> he, he went, he managed his tires perfectly. Yeah. I don't know why Gasly didn't. He, Gasly had like op, the opposite problem of, mm. of he didn't. He said his tires were wearing out, but like Esteban went from 16th to fourth. Like, yeah. and, and that was, he was saying that it was a lot of, because the tires his he managed his tires correctly. So mm. strolling from back to finish fifth. Yeah. The 19th. He started. Yeah, 19th, so like, yeah. is it yeah. really that bad that it's low grip and it could cause mistakes and, because we didn't see any huge shunts. I mean, Lando obviously went in early and, and you know, had to go to the hospital and he was okay, but it wasn't like horrible, horrible mm. type thing. Yeah. Like, am I totally off base here and thinking like, no, I don't know. Let's maybe not change anything. <laughs> no, no. I think there's an element to that. And I think of um, 
the race we did in Turkey a couple of years ago. And like that track is incredible. It's a travesty. It's not in the F1 calendar because it's one of the best that's ever been built. But it was, uh, they'd uh, water blasted the circuit, I think. And it was so cold at that time of year that there was like no grip for the drivers. And I remember watching it and being like, this is terrible. Like I want to see the drivers going through turn eight, that classic corner, flat out, really challenging, really pushing. But they were all kind of managing the low grip and it ended up in a really weird race. And then afterwards I came away and I was like, actually, you know, that was actually quite a good event because of the low grip. And I think there is definitely credence to that point. I think that it does make it a bit more challenging for the drivers. It does contribute to mistakes. I mean, what you saw at turn one at the start, for example, that was because it was such low grip, like tires were really, really cold. The restarts, a lot of the drivers said it was like driving on ice when they came away because the safety car slowed things down so much. So I think that, yes, that does help, but also I think there is a middle ground to be met. And I think that if it were, like Daniel Ricciardo spoke and he said that on the outside of turn three, he said that was, you could take that flat out if the grip was there, mm-hmm. but it was just never there at all this weekend. So I think with the, if it was a little bit warmer and the tires are working that little bit better, it might be an even more thrilling race and more exciting. But no, this does contribute to mistakes being made. And the other thing, the driver, I asked drivers too, like if you anything about this track that you maybe would like to tweak and a couple of them had said, maybe in some of the corners, and I think, is it 14, the one where they kind of, a lot of them kind of went off there, mm. you know, they're like, hey, we can maybe move that curving in a little mm. bit on the inside or get rid of it at all. And that way it gives us more room and more options there. Other Beyond just limiting the curving, like there really was no criticisms of the mm. track. Like they were very, from what I, people I talked to, they were very supportive yeah. and, and, and really praised how the racing unfold. The only thing they'd like to see different when I asked the question was like, can we just move the start time? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, can we just like maybe a couple, like a couple yeah. hours, please. Yep. Like that was the only, I don't even say it's a criticism because it wasn't like over the time. It was just a, if there's anything we could point to, like we'd like different, it's just 10, 8, 10 PM local time is a little rough. And then also I think, you could maybe get away with the 10 p.m. start time, by the way, if you don't have all of your practice and qualifyings the way they did. Mm. Because that was the other thing, too. And I think, you know, when you have a, a practice start session start at 3 a.m. Yeah. And you have qualifying at, what, midnight? midnight yeah. I think if you can change those mm. and you can still keep – you could maybe get away with having the race when you do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that – that's something that F1, I think, does need to look at for next year because the schedule has been, as as we talked about at the top of the show and as all three of us have experienced this weekend, has been brutal on our bodies. And we're not going to every single race working on these cars and patching up repairs after water valve covers come up and things like that. So it has taken a big toll on all of the teams, definitely. And everyone's like, we've now got to go to Abu Dhabi. Like I'm on a plane to London in five and a bit hours time. Uh, and... Like then I go home for 34 hours and then I'm off to Abu Dhabi and like everyone in the F1 paddock is doing that. And it's a lot. And next year it starts a triple header where it's Las Vegas, then Qatar, then Abu Dhabi to end the year. And the week before Vegas is a a bye week, but then there's a triple header before that as well. So it's six races in seven weeks. If we do not change the Vegas schedule next year, we're going to get to Qatar and be broken as a paddock. Like they really need to think about that. I think we're, we're okay dealing with an eight o'clock start or something like yeah. that, that would be perfect. And I think they maybe do need to talk with the, again, it comes down to the row closures and things like that and say, look, the priority is the well-being of the paddock, not, oh, how do we find a time that works best for the viewers in Europe or whatever so they can wake up and watch the race? Like, 
forget that. Think about the people here. I know we got to think about the fans, but ultimately the well-being of everyone in the paddock is so, so important. But the unfortunate thing, and we, we talk about this all the time in NASCAR, what is the biggest thing? It's TV ratings. Yeah, it's TV exactly. contracts. It's making sure your TV partners yeah. have that optimal time to maximize, right or wrong or different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what it's about. And, and it, the unfortunate reality is the people who are dealing with this on a daily basis, who are mm -hmm. on the grind, whether it's fans or people working in the industry, they just have to suck it up and deal with it. And it sucks. But yeah. that's it comes down to TV and it's I don't know how you do this as a schedule like one of the drivers mentioned last night like why can't we just have all three races you know US races in a row it's like that doesn't work no. because you can't have Miami in the fall because they play in the Dolphins parking lot mm -hmm. or they have the race in the Dolphins parking lot and the Dolphins are playing games mm. and you can't have things you can't have Vegas off of this time of the year because no. of logistics and timing and everything else and so like there is no way to really feasibly make this work you, no. you, you so you probably got to bite the bullet on the TV side a little bit and go to your TV partner and say, listen, we're going to have to concede the front set, the yeah. front part of this by an hour or so just because we need to figure it out. Like, yeah. But you are going to – you do reach a breaking point, whether it's fans, whether it's people in the industry, where you just push them too hard and they, they can't do it. Completely. And we're at that point already with next year 24 races. That's like that, – that's a huge amount of travel for everyone and it's a lot that it's going to put on the whole paddock so there isn't really any nothing's being taken away at the moment it's just like being added and next year we've got a month-long gap in October for example which has kind of been suggested that's in there for well-being reasons but the cynic in me thinks that they might the following year in 2025 go oh we've got this nice big gap in October let's put another race in there and get get something else on the calendar I will be intrigued to see what the TV ratings are for the Las Vegas race yes. like both in the US and like back in the UK for me and in Europe because the start time okay it apparently works for people in Las Vegas like 10 p.m prime time whatever but people on the east coast where half the population of the United States are 1 a.m I don't know if that works quite so well and in Europe yeah a 6 a.m lights out in the UK if you move that to 4 a.m I think to be honest like if you're going to wake up at 6 a.m., you're probably that dedicated. You'll yeah. be happy to give up another couple of probably hours. Right. Here's the question, and this is just me spitballing here. Like, you, you've done the night thing now in Vegas. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to do the night thing again next year. So I'm just saying, like, year three. Do you yeah. just say, listen, we did it at night. You got the visuals. You know what it's going to be like. We're going we're gonna to move it now to the day. I mean, is it, do, does Ooh. it get to a point where the novelty of running it at night kind of wears off? I, or do you always that always gonna be part of the allure and you can't you can't go like Singapore like it's yeah. that, that, that so you sorry that's just how it is we're gonna just have to figure it out yeah I think Singapore is a perfect example like they always run FP1 yeah. during the day it looks terrible like it looks yeah. so so bad and I think that for a race like Vegas especially that is all about the visuals and it is about these emotional evocative sports yeah. images it's got to be a night race like I don't think having this on the strip during the day will be anywhere near as spectacular. So I think we're we're always in that bind. But like when did it get dark here? Like five o'clock last night? Like this yeah, time I mean, of year? listen, you could do the race at seven. I mean yeah. like you could I mean you could do it here theoretically at seven o'clock. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. And you could have the race but the problem again, you're you're sticking it to your European audience exactly. and your Asian audience. Yeah. And I don't know if you can go to that degree though. Yeah. Because that that's a really hard ask for your T V partner and but who are paying the, a lot, lot of, of money, money. Again, yeah and that's what is funding all of this mm -hmm. that is what but <laughs> again you, you've got to figure out a way and there yeah. is a breaking point of how we need to do this and there needs to be a little bit of balance and conversely american race fans know this very very well you, we have to get up very early you know eight o'clock on a, yeah. eight o'clock nine o'clock on a sunday morning to watch for sometimes even earlier like sometimes you just got if to be a fan of the sport like yeah. european soccer or anything else you got to bite the bullet mm -hmm. and get up early and yeah. so maybe 
I don't mean to be crass, but like it's if you're a European fan or an Asian fan, like sorry, like you're just gonna have to figure it out. Yeah, I agree. I'd like to get out of here by asking Luke uh, three brief questions, if that's all right. I'll just stop talking. No, no, no. I, no, I just have three fine. questions I for him. No, I, I want to shift it to him a little bit because we're, we're first of all we're so honored to have you on the podcast. Um, you know, Jordan and I are, are huge fans of yours. We're we're really happy that we're teammates now. Uh, we, you know, we're looking forward to being teammates with you. We're hoping that would ha- be the case someday, uh, even before that. Uh, but yeah, before we were, for you. I'm not saying we got you the job with the company, <laughs> yeah. but like yeah, you got us the job with the company. Yeah. Uh, you know, listen, I mean, you owe me a bottle of champagne. <laughs> Are you going to spill it's it? right there. Yeah. It's, it's, you know what? Um, Just ask your questions. Anyway, so, um, I mean, and you you and Madeline have done a, a phenomenal job this year. I, I hope everybody's paid attention to the F1 coverage. It is best in class. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine anybody's doing it any better in the entire world. So There's congrats no one, on period. that. Thank you. Um, and what's amazing about you is uh, we were with you on your birthday in Miami this year. Did you, was, you turned 28? Correct. We weren't in Miami years old. last year. What? Last year. We weren't in Miami this year. Yes, we were. We had we our summit, summit with we him. Went for dinner, oh, the summit! Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm thinking the race. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you bought him green tea. <laughs> yeah, green tea good shots. Drinks. Yeah, that's a good shot. <laughs> that's a good shot. Um, Those become my go-to, by the way. Nice. Yeah. So you are 28 years old, and you are one of the most accomplished motorsports drivers in the entire world. Can you tell us, uh, how, like, how did this happen for you? How did you get here? Oh yeah, quite a story. Um, well, yeah, firstly, thank you guys. That's yeah, incredibly kind of. But you both and yeah, I just know it is fully reciprocated. Like, I adore working with you both. I loved both of your work before coming here, and yeah, to get to know you guys better and to be doing this podcast with mimosas like that's uh, that's really cool. If you'd have You're told welcome. me, you're welcome. Thank you. Did. My idea, Jeff. <laughs> if you'd have told me a year ago I'd be doing this, like I'd have wondered what on earth had happened. But I'm incredibly glad it it has happened. Um, yeah, I guess for me, my story is like I I started out young and. I think from the age of like 13, 14, I knew I wanted to be a journalist doing something. And then I was a fan of F1, so it kind of just got smushed together, basically. And uh, yeah, I just started writing and writing and got picked up uh, by various outlets as the years went on and kind of just learned through making my, my mistakes, basically. like I learned through getting things wrong. I learned through having angry PRs or drivers onto you and things like that. And um, yeah, then you sort of find your feet a little bit and you also just, with age, get more mature and i know again only 28 but i think that 10 years in the industry now has kind of taught me an enormous amount and f1 is it's it's its own beast and like we had um tasham reed our las vegas reporter here this weekend and he said like it's impressive how you guys get stuff done because it is such a closed off world at times and i think it took someone else from the outside to kind of say that and realize that that um really sunk that in so so yeah so i mean i spent before coming here i spent three wonderful years with with autosport and i adored working there but the athletic had always been a website i loved reading and i always wanted to be able to write in that kind of style so to have been able to join as part of the f1 coverage launch has been an incredible honor and i think that this last vegas weekend has just been it's been wonderful like we were told at the start of the year yeah vegas is going to be huge for us like everything is gearing towards the las vegas grand prix for formula one in the united states and the way we've covered it and carried it all out i'm just so blown away by and it's yeah been a i think i said to you guys like i've not had this kind of feeling in my professional career in 10 years in terms of the quality and teamwork we've had in a single weekend so um so yeah that's kind of a maybe a bit of a long-winded answer but that's that's kind of how i got here to be sat in a room with you guys drinking mimosas you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) thank you jordan (laughs) i can't even say without choking on my words 
All right. So I, I want to know, you know, because I've always, I always wonder, and I, I don't know if you can put it into words, but look, we, we travel the NASCAR circuit, right? And it's like, I live in Denver. So most flights, even Charlotte for me is like two and a half hours. You know, the West coast flights are an hour and a half. You are flying all over the planet, like literally all over the planet. You're doing 22 races this year. Uh, tw- well, I, I traveled to Imola. I did go to Imola and flew home the same day. So I've oh. traveled to 22. I've done 22 trips. Let's five continents. Continents. Okay. Five continents. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Yep. Five continents. Yeah. Africa so and Antarctica. You're, you are okay, going everywhere. What, what is it like to travel the world following this crazy circus? Can you, for all the people that are just at home and see this on TV, can you put it into words or describe what, what that's like at all? It's it's incredible and it is a big part of the pull for this job for me. Like I grew up watching these races in Japan or Singapore or Monaco and I thought I'd be so cool to be there one day and um my um uh, a lot of the passion for F1 came from my mum and we, we shared that um from when I was a, a kid watching these races and we'd always watch Monaco and she'd always look at the the Grand Hotel hairpin and there's this hotel that looks over it and basically it's like you're kind of you're looking at the literally down onto the cars and she always said i want to be there one day i want to be there one day and um yeah sadly she passed away a couple of years ago so that's that kind of sad that that's never going to be a a dream or possibility but it was it's that kind of thing that 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 made me think like yeah i want to be able to travel the world and see the world and i didn't travel a lot as a kid like i the third flight i ever took was going to singapore to cover that race for the first time like it is crazy and uh, now it's like i keep track i think i've done like 42 43 flights this year at the end of the year i'll see how many weeks i've spent on airplanes how much co2 damage i've done to the environment as well i'm very sorry world (laughs) but it's but it is it is incredible don't get me wrong like it is amazing to see how much how much different cultures embrace f1 definitely and to go to these wonderful cities and just to i think travel really does broaden the mind and i feel very privileged i've been able to do that like going to uh japan for example going to i mean i've been to argentina for formula e i've been to australia i've been to new zealand like these aren't places that normal people go and i think as an f1 community we do kind of live in a bit of a bubble at times like we'll be sitting in an airport gate being like oh when do you fly to singapore i'm going on this day doing this route and i think that the other people around us who might have taken that only one flight that year for their holiday must be thinking who are these guys like why are they (laughs) moaning about oh they've got to go to singapore and and i get that and it's um again it's not without its drawbacks like it's a lot of sacrifice and time away from home and things like that but there is a real community spirit in formula one and i think like particularly with like the group of friends i've got in the press room and with friends and teams and things like that everyone has each other's back and i think there is an understanding of we're all doing something very unique and very i think crazy and one day we'll kind of look back and go we did that and i don't think i'm going to be doing this forever like i think i'll get to a point where i say i don't want to travel so much as a lot of people do in the sport but yeah, it is a, a real honor to be doing it. And just, it's been the most remarkable way to see the world. And I don't think I'll ever tire of going to like Melbourne or to Tokyo and places like that. So I feel very, very fortunate. Um, You're the best at what you do, by the way. I, I mean, I tell you this all the time, but you, you are okay. like, there is thank no you. better person on the F1 beat than you. Like you are the, the premier. I'm going to You are the Bob Pockers. All right, he, he gets it. You're gassing him up. I'm sorry he for being it. complimentary of my teammates. I build okay. people up, Jeff. I don't knock right. them down. Well, okay. Okay. That's very nice. I'm never going to believe it as well either. No, but, but it is true. <laughs> it is absolutely true. Like, I, speak, you, I sing your praises everybody. You, Thank I mean, you. It's, and to work alongside you this weekend was remarkable. Thank you. Uh, I just want to ask you your favorite 
destination that mm-hmm. F one goes to that you, that you personally like to go to. And if there's a fan out there listening who's like, oh, you know, I would like to, I'm thinking about going to an F one race somewhere. What what race should they go to? Oof, uh, I think my favorite destination would be Melbourne in Australia. I, I adore that city's pieces. If you told me you've got to pack your bags and move somewhere in the world tomorrow, I would go to Melbourne in wow. a heartbeat. I love it there. It's just such a cool vibe. It's a really embracing and loving and warm city. So uh, Melbourne is, that's probably my favorite race to go to. And if you're a fan, I would say if you can get to Melbourne, amazing. Like it's a one to one full race. But I appreciate Australia is a long way away from everywhere. Oof. So honestly, Austin, get to Austin. Like the United States Grand Prix is just a phenomenal fan event. Austin as a city is amazing. Like I love, love, love going there. It's affordable. It's so fan focused. And I think it really ticks all of the boxes for what a lot of the listeners on this show will, will be looking for. Like if you've not been to a Formula One race before, get along to Austin. Like I think ticket prices have dropped for next year from where they were this year. For do you example. get a free voucher though? That's the question. $200 <laughs> worth of merch. Yeah, you get some nice little you t-shirts. Do they apologize to you if they mess up? That, that's I my question. There might be a, a bit of a sorry or regret. In Bobby does yeah. a good job on that. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He, he really, really does. Um, yeah. So I'd say that's the, yeah, I'd say Austin. Like if you want to go somewhere, get along to Austin. Well, Luke, thank you so much for taking the time to do this on one hour sleep. Jordan, <laughs> thanks for the hotel room and the mimosas. And uh, for everybody else listening, um, assuming, I mean, assuming you survive, Jordan's staying for six more days here in Vegas. Yeah. So assuming Jordan survives another week in Vegas, we may have another episode of The Teardown that would be fine. next week. This is uh, my first trip into Vegas where okay. I've had, been here a week. I Yeah, I'm sure. What have you got planned for your week in Vegas, Jordan? Uh, I got a Hoover Dam uh, excursion tomorrow, a bunch of dinners, some shows. Uh, yeah. Parents are coming to town, got friends. All right. Well, thanks for the invite. You uh, got kids. Okay. You can't bring that. your kids to Vegas. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, uh, we may be back with you next week on the Teardown. But in the meantime, thanks, everybody, so, so much for listening. Thanks, Luke. And we will talk to you next time on the Teardown.